Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. You know, we've hired a number of my new colleagues for my media venture down here in D.C., specifically using ZipRecruiter. That's right. We use ZipRecruiter for our hiring process. We got video editors. We got assistant producers. Everything we needed for a TV show, guess what? We were able to find on ZipRecruiter, and we found the best of the best, and it was easy. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest-rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. My last name, S-E-X-T-O-N, ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. You are entering the Freedom Hut. So the Eagles did not land at the White House. We've heard from the administration about just what created this uh, misunderstanding, shall we call it, and is this part of a bigger conversation? Plus, the Miss America contest has gotten rid of the swimsuit competition. This is unlikely to help ratings. We'll talk about what may have pushed this decision, and then also some really important stuff, like Social Security and Medicare are running out of money pretty soon. We should discuss, and that is coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Honor and a privilege to have you with me here in the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for joining uh, we've got a whole bunch of things to talk about today. You heard some of it there in our intro. Uh, but I, I have some, uh, some. I'm not sure it's breaking news, but it's interesting news. Got the upcoming Korea, uh, North Korea summit in Singapore next week. It's going to be, it's going to be quite, a, quite a week, quite a show in, in every sense. Uh, but now I'm seeing some reporting, and it's from the New York Post, Oh. Uh, can you know? Can neither confirm nor deny its veracity here? But they're saying that they may have called in the big guns for this diplomatic summit. They they may have gone with the Talleyrand of our times, Dennis Rodman. That's right, the NBA All Star slash uh, rebound leader. Which I will say, very impressive, given that he was. You know, not the not the biggest, not the tallest guy in the league, but was the rebound champion year year in and year out for a number of years. Uh, he may be, or he will be, reportedly in in uh, Singapore during the summit. And some are saying that you know maybe he's going to play something of a role here, which sounds a little crazy until you realize that Dennis Rodman has been there what five five times. He's made numerous visits. Yeah, he's he's visited North Korea five times and has a good relationship with them. You know, this this comes from Kim Jong Il's near obsession with the 
the NBA Chicago Bulls. He he loved the, the Bulls were Kim Jong Il's team, uh, which it's not the Bulls' fault. I, I don't know what to say. And as a long-suffering Knicks fan in New York, I can say that were it not for Michael Jordan and his Bulls, uh, probably would have won some championships in my youth when I used to pay attention to these things. But the the North Korea summit at this point is going to be something of a. Uh, it's it's looking like it's going to be a wild card. It's looking like it's going to be. Well, no one really knows. I wish I could tell you. Well, this is yeah. On the broad strokes, we've discussed it. Likely there'll be if it's a success, it'll be the beginning of a much larger conversation. It will continue on for quite some time, and I I I don't I don't know what I can say beyond that right now. We'll have more updates as it gets closer, and maybe we'll just do some deep dives into. The North Korean ideology and what it would be like. Imagine if we reached a point where there was a real reunification. I mean, the stuff that I think would you'd have to have a kind of a truth and reconciliation style committee about what's happened in North Korea, which I don't even know if that would be possible. But we 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 know very little about what goes on day to day in that country. Uh, we have almost no media coverage of it. I mean, it's negligible. Our media sees only what they want media visit that's visiting to see we know the state media there is is borderline deranged and it's the only there's a fascinating aspect to it too it's the only truly totalitarian society on the planet i mean really cradle to grave soup to nuts top to bottom orwellian 1984 totalitarianism you know i think uh, the late the late author christopher hitchens once said that with North Korea, it's like somebody read Orwell's 1984 and was like, let's give this a shot. And that's what, that's really what you get. Uh, you, I think I've told you before, there's this documentary. There are a few very good documentaries about North Korea. One of them, you ha- and it, it really stuck with me. You know, doc- good documentaries are amazing. A lot of them, it's a space that's kind of do- dominated by progressive leftists, and there's always like, oh, like the earth is melting, and oh, you know, your water is going to catch on fire, and it's like, yeah, whatever. A lot of that stuff. But there's other things in there that are just trying to tell very good long-form you know, video stories. And there's one where these, these doctors uh, go to North Korea and they are doing, I believe it's cataract surgery. And I forget where the doctors are from. They're part of some international organization. But, you know, it's uh, similar to a, a Médecins Sans Frontières. It's, it's like a Doctors Without Borders outfit. And because they have such limited and primitive medicine in North Korea for for average folks, if you, you know you have cataracts, like you're just going to go blind. Right? And so they're doing all these surgeries. They're just and they're in real time. And you watch people who have been in some cases blind for years, having their sight restored. I mean, think about that, right? You've been able to see your whole life. You go completely blind from your cataracts, and then some guy, some foreigner, shows up. And literally, like, lasers them off, and now you can see. I mean, it's a near-biblical miracle for these folks. I mean, it's really a miracle of modern science. but And you see all these people, and one after another, when their vision is restored, they get down to their knees, and they turn and face the omnipresent portrait of, at the time, it was Kim Jong-un, now it would be, or Kim Jong-il, now it would be Kim Jong-un, and thank the dear leader with tears in their eyes and with their whole body convulsing and shaking with with tears and gratitude 
to the dear leader. The doctor is like not even there. That organization doesn't count. It's the dear leader. It's a psychological experiment that has been practiced in North Korea now for decades that it's never been done in, in human history. So there, there's some fascinating aspects to what we would learn and what we would see if the so-called hermit kingdom was put on a pathway to no longer to no longer be a hermit kingdom. I, I am very <clears throat> trying to be very sanguine about the chances of success here. I still think they're low, but we will see. Um, Huckabee Sanders today. Should we? Do people call her Huck Sanders? That would be a, you know, like it's a long name. Huckabee Sanders is a long name. I feel like we should let's put out a let's put on a note. Let's send her Rumsfeldian snowflake. You know, for like those little little memos or whatever to uh, see if if Huck Sanders is cool with us calling her that. Uh, but she spoke about the denuclearization component of these upcoming talks in North Korea. Here's what she said. Play clip one. The president is extremely serious about this process, and ultimately he wants to see denuclearization of the peninsula. That's the that's the top goal here, and that's what he's focused on doing. That's what the talks next week will center on. But he also knows that, uh, as he said, this may, this may take time. This may not happen over the course of one meeting, but several meetings. He has good feeling about how this first meeting will go. Just a first meeting, folks. We will have to see. Where it goes and how it goes beyond that. Not not a whole lot of, you know, you can only do so much analysis of, of what will happen before you realize you just need to see what is happening. So I, I hope the summit still happens next week. And for the, the good of North Korea, South Korea, our allies in the whole world, let's all pray for this thing to work out. Let's let's do more than just hope for it. Uh, you know, the, the Eagles situation has been very interesting. I am... I'm following this. I'm trying to see what the uh, the different angles of this may be. I watch the NFL. So unlike some sports where I'm like, yeah, use your baseball bat to, to hit a touchdown. Like, I actually understand the NFL and, and watch the NFL. I'm really just making fun of it. Baseball. I haven't seen a baseball game in I don't even know how many years. I know. I know. It's like I'm barely an American. I should move to Canada. But I haven't seen a baseball game in a long time. Going to them sounds like fun to me, right? You're there. You got the dog, uh, that well, hot dog, and uh, you got beer, which I can't drink. Wow, I'm sounding really frou frou. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna have like a vegan soy latte at the baseball game. I know. Sometimes I should just slap myself. But uh, you know, I- I'm looking at this Eagles thing. It's took up so much energy today, and and I wonder who's really who's really pushing it, and what are they trying to get out of this? Because it became a big focus in the media. Uh, I also want to talk about this because I think there's broader themes at work with, and it's not just because I want to discuss Miss America contests and bikinis. I, that's not, you know, we have a lot, of, a lot of ladies listen to this show. I don't want them thinking that, you know, this is not like the man show on radio. But there are some important, uh, there are some important dynamics that I think are going into that decision that have to do with the the lefts and radical feminisms refutation of reality short version easy version is attractive people have an advantage in life and they always will we can pretend that being attractive isn't a thing and no one cares about it but that's also like pretending that there aren't smart people and dumb people in the world because there are just the way it is we can say everybody gets a trophy but 
It's really hard to say everybody gets a trophy in a contest where it's not even clear what they're getting a trophy for. So we'll get to the Miss America thing later. I think there's some bigger themes there. And, oh, by the way, we've got uh, on immigration, Attorney General of the United States, uh, Jeff Sessions, joining us because that's how we roll here in the hut. Uh, We like the issue of immigration as a topic. We spend a lot of time researching it and uh, thinking about it. And so to have the chief law enforcement official of the United States government, other than the president, uh, which I have to remind liberals about, that he is, in fact, the chief law enforcement official. Uh, But number two, Jeff Sessions will be joining us to talk about immigration. Uh, That'll be coming up in just a little bit. So please do stick around for that. Really curious to hear your thoughts on this one, team, when it comes to what happened with this whole Eagles thing. Up to and including, is it a is it a tempest in a teapot? Do we, should we really care? I'll go over the specifics. We got our Eagles super fan here, producer Mike, who can also weigh in. But this, you know, on a day when we're finding out the Social Security Trust Fund is running low on money, the Medicare Trust Fund's running low on money, this got a lot of play, a lot of coverage. And I, there's a part of me that wonders... Is there some aspect of this that I'm not seeing? Or I know radio hosts are never supposed to say that, right? I know everything, but on this one, maybe I don't. So uh, would love to hear from you. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Should the Eagles have landed, so to speak, at the White House? Or was the White House not handling this properly? Or any and all the above. Thoughts welcome. Uh, we will talk about that and more when we come back. There were 80 members of the Eagles organization that RSVP'd and committed to attend this event uh, as recently as Friday, as well as over a thousand fans uh, of the Eagles organization. And the Eagles are the ones that tried to change their commitment at the 11th hour. And the president, frankly, thinks that the fans deserve better than that. And therefore, we changed the ceremony uh, to be a focus on celebrating our great country. Look, if this wasn't a political stunt by the Eagles franchise, then they wouldn't have planned to attend the event and then backed out at the last minute. And if it wasn't a political stunt, then they wouldn't have attempted to reschedule the visit uh, when they knew that the president was going to be overseas. And if this wasn't a political stunt, they wouldn't have waited until Monday, well after a thousand of their fans had traveled and taken time out of their schedules to offer only a tiny handful of representatives to attend the event. Ooh, quite a Quite a salvo there from uh, Huck Sanders. Producer Mike, you are an Eagles super fan, so you celebrate <laughs> the Eagles this year because they have won. Yes, I w- did. W- what are you, as a super fan, what the heck is going on here? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with Sarah Huckabee Sanders here. Um, yeah, the, the Eagles, you know, they've been very outspoken the entire season. Um as she pointed out, or as many people pointed out. But none of them kneeled, right? That was a big thing. Because I know there was a photo on Fox News. Right. They apologized for it because they weren't kneelers, so to speak, during the season. No, they but weren't they- kneelers, but they spent uh, a good amount of the season dissing the president, criticizing the president. And uh, they have an owner who's been very critical of the president. So Okay. You know, so, from- so clearly there's some, and, and this is the point that I think didn't make it out there in the early stages here, which was that they had committed to go. And then it feels like once they'd committed to go, then they're like, well, we're actually just like not going to really send, you know, it'd be like if everybody RSVP to a party 
And then to make the person throwing the party feel bad, they're like, well, actually only a few of us, and, and everyone knew each other that was attending, they're like, well, only a few of us are going to go, because this party's not that cool. Right, and then that try to reschedule like the party happened. when the owner of the house is out of town. Right. So they wanted to, they wanted to, you know, they tried to reschedule for when the president was going to be in Singapore for the summit. Yeah. That's so, called politicizing a move. So yeah, it's disrespectful. I, it is, and it's a shame, because I think... You know, it would have been a great thing for the city of Philadelphia to see that. I think a lot of people in the city of Philadelphia were, you know, are very proud of the Eagles. And it's a very heavy Democrat city, but I got news, the suburbs are very uh, conservative. And, yeah, uh, there, I, think, there, I, I know this. Pennsylvania, there are many there are many capitalists and patriots who live in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so that's yeah. good news. So, <laughs> yeah, lo- lots of them. I come across them all the time. Yeah, uh, I, we've got a we've got a wonderful affiliate out in Harris. Well, thank you, uh, Mike, for winning as somebody who actually really pays attention. To what's going on with the Eagles? We've got a, our, our affiliate out in Harrisburg, for example, Harrisburg, PA. Patriots are plenty in Harrisburg. I can tell you that much and other places in the state of pennsylvania so i i just i find it i find it frustrating that uh, this is the place where where we find ourselves with all this you'll notice the nfl has looked at what happened with the ticket receipts has looked at what the the revenue trajectory was after this whole situation and they're like yeah you know we, we, we're gonna have people not kneel during the end wait didn't they one more thing, like they would stay in the were, were they stay in the dressing room during the anthem guys on the Eagles? I can't keep it all straight now. There's so many of these different teams. No, they, they were out on the field. Um, it, it actually all started with um, one of the players taking a seat on on the bench and then uh, it moved to them uh, collectively raising a fist on on the sideline. But nobody ever kneeled. And nobody stayed back in the locker room. They 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 were on the field. Okay, so it wasn't about what happened previously. It feels like this was just a a decision now made by obviously made by players and, and the organization having to do with Trump and the White House. Uh, Huck Sanders spoke more about this. Play eleven, John. Play eleven for me, please. Would hope that all of the people of Pennsylvania would share the president's commitment uh, to the national anthem and the pride that we have in our country. And certainly not meant to be a slight to anyone, but frankly, uh, a reaffirmation of what a great country that we live in. And to stand for the national anthem is something the president has been very clear on. You know, I feel like the president invites you to dinner. The president invites you to come hang out. The president of the United States... You know, you have the right not to go, but I would just, I would question those who don't under, or question the the, uh, the wisdom of not at least taking into account that, you know, the, the president is always representative of the office, too. You know, a fair question would be, let's say I was, this will be a fun, this will be a fun scenario, I was a NFL champion quarterback. I've got the hair for it, just not the rest of the physique, but, uh, Let's say I was an NFL champion quarterback along the lines of a Tom Brady or one of the other ones who's married to a supermodel. And uh, and during the course of the Obama administration, I had been invited to uh, to the White House in my role as NFL quarterback of the championship team. I will tell you, I would have told my supermodel wife in this fantasy, which sounds like fun. Uh, sorry, uh, honey, because we would have names like that for each other. Sorry, honey. I, I've got to go to the White House. It is, in fact, the Obama White House, but I'm going to go because America. That's my analysis on that one. We're going to have more. And, and oh, speaking of America, Miss America, no more bikinis, no more nightgowns either. It's like the Taliban's running things. We'll be back. 
He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Do you have any comment on Trump uninviting uh, the Eagles to White House after most of the black players decided not to go? I I just actually just found out about it when I was walking up to the podium. I ain't really digested enough, but um, it's typical of him. I'm not surprised. Um, I'm just, you know, typical of him. And um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I know no matter who wins this series, no one's, no one wants to invite anyway. So it won't be Golden State or Cleveland going. Donald Trump has the NFL in the palm of his hands. He can do whatever he wants to them right now because of the positions they've taken or the positions they refuse to take preceding the whole Colin Kaepernick thing. The fact that he has a constituency, we want to sit up there and we want to, we, we want to, the man got over 62 million votes. You got a lot of folks out there who are patrons of the NFL product. The NFL, a matter of fact, some of the NFL owners are his friends and make no mistake about it. The constituency they cater to, the, 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 the patrons that they cater to, a lot of them are were Trump voters. He knows it. He took the position that he took. Yep. You could call it a diversionary tactic or whatever the case may be, but what it comes down to is that the power of influence matters. He has it, particularly over them, because he knows what they tried to do. He knows what he wants to do. More importantly, he knows how to do it better than them, and he's got them. But you know what? Because they they folded to him. I got to say, uh, Stephen Smith. Oh, he's an ESPN guy, right? I, I'm familiar with his work. Some a lot of wisdom in his line of analysis. There, LeBron James, the number one or number two greatest basketball player who ever lived, depending on who you talk to. Uh, yep, producer Mike says number one. John is being diplomatic and not giving me a finger either way, but. Uh, uh, LeBron James saying that no one wants to go to the White House. This is just damaging. You know, I, you know, look, I, I can't pretend to put myself in the shoes of a, of a professional athlete. For one, their shoes are a lot bigger than mine, and uh, they probably don't wear boating shoes all the time because they have to wear, you know, like sneakers and things like that. But I, I can't imagine specifically what their feelings are about this president or anything else. But here's what I would offer to them. They have as incredibly uh, visible and widely revered Americans who are also insanely highly paid, right? There are people who look up to them and there are people who want to appreciate what they do and their craft and their ability without it always feeling like a political lecture is about to happen. And I worry here because as somebody who does not, you know, I, I'm not, I don't get nearly as excited about professional sports. as A lot of other people, you will never hear me uh, do, doing a, you know, all of a sudden, Hey, the Bucks action show where it's all sports all the time, right? Like that's not, first of all, it wouldn't be a very good show. Cause I'd be like, you know, the baseball thing with the bats that you swing and you know, Don Mattingly's great player. I mean, like, I, I got nothing. I don't know anything. Um, I've played some sports. I coached soccer many years ago, very successfully. I will add, in the, at the high school level, I was an, I was a phenomenal high school soccer coach. Uh, but that's a that's a digression. I just want to pat pat myself on the back here. But even though I don't get that excited about professional sports, uh, we, we understand that celebrity and ex- and public awareness of individuals in this country is tremendously powerful. 
right? We yes, we have a businessman, a an entrepreneur uh, as president. We all, uh, you know, a builder. We also have a reality TV star and just general media star. I mean, Trump is. I'm somebody who really spends a lot of time on this craft of media, trying to figure out how to tell stories, how to be engaging, bringing information, but also bringing humor into things. And I, you know, I, in my own little way, I feel like I'm one of these guys who's analyzing stocks, but I'm analyzing shows. What does this host do well? What does that host do well? Trump is is a media phenomenon and was even before he became president. And his ability to give to do live events and the way he connects with a crowd, I mean it, it's he is, you know, on another level. He is like the for for live events and and political commentary and just being a media force, you know, he is like a Wayne Gretzky or a or a LeBron James or one of these guys. Wayne, Wayne Gretzky really this so the guy has been retired for like twenty years, right? I don't even who who's the best hockey player today. I have no idea. I think the did Washington win or are they about to win? I'm in the I'm in the swamp here. Washington's never, up three one right now. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, that's how much I know about hockey. I, I know people like and, and Gretzky. Just to, just to go back, he has the best nickname I think of all time. I mean, what, the, what's that? The Great One. I mean, that's just his nickname. They call him the Great One. Oh, I didn't. I mean, know if they that. call you the Great One, that's a pretty awesome nickname. I didn't know Wayne Gretzky. Cool, cool name. I remember seeing that cartoon with Wayne Gretzky, Bo Jackson, and Michael Jordan growing up and watching it all the time. And the cartoon never really made any sense because, like, how do you, how is that really having magic powers to, like, fight enemies? But anyway, I also was sub- subjected to the propaganda of Captain Planet for a while when I was a kid. He's our hero, going to bring pollution down to zero. No, Captain Planet. It's called commerce. Creates a little CO2. Deal with it. So, you know, but, but, but back to the, the, the center of, of this discussion right now, right? Back to what I'm really trying to get at here. And that is that sports should be a place of inspiration and escape for the American people. And I, I, I wish that the responsibility that our professional athletes, as much as they're going to engage in political discourse, and they are, right? They have multi-million person Twitter followings. They, they are able... They're doing interviews with millions and millions of people watching. They're talking about issues. I mean, they are a part of the conversation. And this is also why I found it so uh, distasteful when you saw this media pylon about Kim Kardashian going to the Oval Office of the Trump. I'm like, well, there were all kinds of like rappers and professional athletes and, you know, actors, you know, George Clooney and these people. You know, they're all rubbing elbows uh, with White House folks. They're all close with Obama and going to the White House for eight, and, and then it was cool, right? But Kim Kardashian goes to talk about an issue. You know, if you know Leonardo DiCaprio literally flying on his private jet for meetings with Trump or, who, I mean, I'm sorry, not Trump, <laughs> whoa, uh, Obama or whomever, that's amazing and, and like changing the world to the left and to the media. But Kim Kardashian showing up and saying, hey, this African-American grandmother, or great-grandmother, I think actually now, uh, who's served 20 years, maybe we should let her out early and it would be a good signal to minority communities that, you know, that there should be hope and that good behavior should be rewarded and there should be a second chance. People are mocking her for it. You know, I, I will mock bad ideas and I will mock stupidity, but I will not mock people who are trying to do good things th- that, that are ob- objectively good and, and nonpartisan. And using their celebrity to do so. But what's next? We're going to make fun of like rich celebrities who run charities. Oh, excuse me, fancy person who like wants to help the homeless. But like, do you have you written a PhD thesis on well, homelessness in America? What do you want to say about? So you know that's all. I think uh, an important 
thing to keep in mind here. Uh, I really do. So um, I, I wish that they would just focus on sports as a as an outside or you know sports as something that we could all enjoy and not become some kind of political focus. But we're in we're in an environment now where everything has to be political all the time, uh, and, and people feel like they aren't allowed to vote present, so to speak. And you you can't just say. I'm an entertainer. I'm an athlete. I want to do that. You're always pushing in this other stuff. But I also, you know, I understand why Trump and the White House are going to say, okay, you know, if you guys don't have the respect for this office to be respectful of an invitation from the president, you know, I'm not going to play that game. And to Stephen A. Smith's point about who's winning this debate in the public, you know, these superstar athletes, I, you know, I think that they confuse or, or, or rather, they overestimate their own ability to, to have the public rally to their side when it comes to issues of real underlying respect for our nation, for our flag, and for those in the armed forces that protect it and those who have died protecting it. The American people are with patriotism over any particular sport or any particular athlete. Maybe not all of us, but a Big majority of us. And the kind of majority that, as a somebody trying to run a business, because remember, athletics are a business, just like media is a business. Alienating so many people in the pursuit of some kind of political ideology, political agenda, is bad, it's bad business. And, and I think that we're going to see that Trump is going to win on this one once again. You know, if, if it's one thing if you just want to say no from the get go, I, I have no interest in meeting the president. I'm an athlete. I don't want to do that. But to accept and then decline or to accept and then make it clear this is going to be an opportunity for, you know, it'd be like if somebody came on my radio show, if I invite, you know, I invite guests on on a fairly regular basis. Although, quite honestly, guys, I, I get, you know, I'm a little possessive of the time that we all have together. I, you know, I OK, sure. We have a cabinet level official from the government calling in a little bit. We've got the attorney general joining. But. So there's some people that I, I got to let you hear from, but I want to hear from you. I I want to hear your calls. I want to read your emails. I want to get to roll call, and I want to talk to you, right? So I don't just bring people on here to blah, 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 but take up the time. But if I did invite somebody on, and they accepted, and then they thought that this would be an opportunity to just be disrespectful, they are going to get angry buck, which is... Let me tell you, from people who've been around me when I'm hangry, it can actually be a kind of unsettling and scary thing. They're not going to get like, oh, like, excuse me for like bringing you here. I thought we would have a civil discussion. Like, They want to throw it out. We're going to throw it out. Because they don't have to accept. They don't have to come here. And that's always what I feel like about people want to call in and aren't a member of the team, and they just want to say, oh, you're terrible, or I hate you, whatever. Okay, well, now you're just being a jerk, and let's, let's, let's throw it out and see who wins this one. You know, once you choose to engage and fight, you know, you, you, you deal with the consequences. And if the Eagles really want to pick a, a fight with the President of the United States, given what we've already seen happen with the NFL, I think that's on them. And anyway, if you think I'm missing something here or there's some part of this that needs to be introduced, by all means, I'd love to hear from it. We will talk shortly about uh, the... Well, we should probably do some policy stuff, right, with running out of money and what this means... And also trade deals and what that means. I don't want to spend too much time. We will get to the Miss America issue, though, because I think there's some big cultural undertones to the decision to get rid of the swimsuit. I said bikini before. I believe it is a swimsuit contest. But they all wear bikinis, right? Or do they wear one pieces? I don't know. 
because I never watch. Of course. We'll get into that later, though. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. Be right back. Lines are lit in the Freedom Hub. Let's get to some of our calls. Uh, first up, Scott in North Carolina. Hey, Scott. Hello, Buck. I have a question for you. What do you think the reaction would be if the president ordered Jeff Sessions to appoint a special prosecutor to investigate the Justice Department? Uh, I mean, I think people like you and me would probably like it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess that people would say that that's already... You know, this, this is why the whole notion of a special counsel strikes me as, as somewhat odd. It's kind of a it's really a flawed concept. I mean, because how much how much more internal investigation and yeah, how many more internal investigations you need to have? Right. I mean, there's there are a lot of people. This is their job within the DOJ already. And you've got a Republican president who should be directing them to do so. So, you know, we right. shouldn't need a. I mean, I, I get your point and It's a good question, but. I feel like we shouldn't need a special counsel. We're going to get this IG report, I think, next week on Comey and the Hillary emails. So these things are going on, uh, but you know the, whether a special counsel will be more effective or not, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, we shouldn't need a second special counsel, but it might be a good idea. I can't tell you yay or nay, Scott. Does that does that make sense? I know that seemed a little circuitous. Or it, it, does, it does make sense, but it's kind of... Uh, to investigate yourself, it's kind of, you know, kind of a... a right, but, but even, I mean, the special counsel is just for... It's just people that used to work the DOJ have been brought in to, you know, to, to do this, right? So well, we're supposed to think that there are some... They're paragons of virtue of no politics and no interest in in uh, in pursuing aspects of, of the Trump-Russia collusion fable, fairy tale, that... Uh, you know, it's really just to their advantage. I mean, you know, they just sent this. Uh, well, I mean, let me let me think some more about it. And maybe if I can remember, maybe I'll ask the attorney. I'll ask the attorney general later what he thinks about it. <laughs> Thanks for calling in, Scott. I appreciate it. Anthony in Maryland nearby next door in Maryland. Hey, Anthony, you're like you're like extended swamp. You're like a swamp first cousin. <laughs> yes, sir. I am. <laughs> very, very uh, Democrat yeah. state, Maryland. You've got some bad you've got some bad Second Amendment laws there. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, we're on Eastern Shore, so it's a little bit uh, more down our street down here. Um, anyway, yeah, two two things, uh, and I agree. And and one thing, I still I still preach. I feel that if if uh, racism wasn't talked about, there wouldn't be racism. Uh, and then I got another comment. Okay, what's your other comment? Um, and and to the. Uh, 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 Miss Miss America and all that. Here, here, here they go again. Now, now they're going to start belittling women because for too long, um, where they're taking away bathing suits and all that, they're basically uh, going to be able, hiding the bulge. Um, it's not going to be perfect women running for Miss America. Uh, okay. I don't. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not. Thanks, Anthony. I, I don't know if he's. I don't know if that was like a, like he's saying there might be a little more. Uh, like women will be. I, I, there's a couple of ways one could take that. So I'm just gonna. I'll let it go. You know, hey, we, I give the we give the people a voice here sometimes. <laughs> I 
kind of it's a uh can be a, a a volatile proposition. I'm like, I'm not really sure what we're going for with that one, but but sure enough, it's it's a thing we can talk about. We it's a thing we can talk about. I don't know. Do we? I, I feel like I, I want to get into a little bit of uh, a little bit of policy coming up here with, with social. I mean, is is it just too boring? I feel like nobody wants to talk about Social Security and Medicare these days and how we have we are on an unsustainable fiscal trajectory with these things. How the Democrats don't care, by the way, because they're just going to. Well, I'll tell you why they don't care about that we, when we uh, come back after the break. But I don't know. Is, do we would we rather just get into all the latest and the like Russia collusion and Mueller stuff? I just feel like that's so much. They're just reporting on the reporting of the reporting now. It doesn't a lot of this isn't even particularly newsworthy as far as I can see it. Um, and I, I think the fact that people that are in their 40s and 50s today are going to be told by the government, sorry, uh, that program you paid into all your life that you were mandated to pay into, it's actually not going to give you what was promised. I feel like that's kind of a big deal, but I don't know. You can call me. People can call me crazy. Uh, and also then Miss America in bathing suits. We're going to have, we have to talk about that. It's important, folks. Important, uh, well, because we say so. I can't think of why it's really important. When you're at work, you know, your dogs, they're cooped up inside all day. They've got a lot of energy and dogs are going to do what they do. That means digging. So out in your backyard, you may have a fence set up, but guess what? Your dog can dig under that fence. That means that you may spend countless hours and a whole lot of worry running around trying to figure out what happened to your beloved family pet. But you know what? Dig Defense takes care of this. It makes sure you don't have to futz around anymore with brick and wood and concrete to try to stop dogs from digging under the fence. It solves this problem for you. Dig Defense extends the protection of your fence underground. No amount of digging is going to let your pets out of the yard or let predators in. Check it out for yourself. It comes in a bunch of different models and sizes to fit your exact needs. It's easy to install with a hammer and a pair of gloves. It's available online at Lowe's, Menards, Wayfair, and StopTheDig.com. Again, Dig Defense is a solution to pets digging under your fence. Go to StopTheDig.com. All right, everybody, as promised, we have the Attorney General of the United States with us, uh, Jeff Sessions. Attorney General, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Buck. Good to be with you. Okay, a lot of talk going on about uh, immigration policy, U.S.-Mexico border, and specifically this idea that the Trump administration is separating parents from children. This is an active decision, and the media has given this a lot of play Attorney General, what is going on? I mean, is there a new policy at the border as compared to the Obama administration when it comes to separating parents from children? Or is this just the enforcement of the law on the books? What can you tell us about what's happening? Right. It's an enforcement of the law on the books. Uh, our goal has been to uh, get to 100 percent prosecution of people who cross the border unlawfully. But what we've seen in, in recent years and even increased some is um, people bringing children with them. And so the tendency has been to not to take any action against them. Uh, well, we're not going to take any action against children, but the parent has violated the law, and they, they, they can't be granted immunity because they place children at risk to bring them into the country unlawfully outside of our ports of entry and a, uh, uh, you know, breaking into the country that way. So this is the current law. It's always been the law. These cases have been prosecuted in the past. But we take the children within 72 hours 
Homeland Security has to take any of the children and deliver them to the Department of Health and Human Services. And they are given fine care there. Uh, they spend a lot of money on it. Uh, and they do the best they can to treat those children as well as they can be. They're given education. They're given uh, uh, exercise and, and uh, the high, a lot of high-quality advantages uh, while they're being detained. And if a parent is, is, of course, ordered deported, the children can go back home with them. Now, there's been reporting, uh, Attorney General, that there's been a surge in illegal border crossings in 2018. Uh, one, do, do you can, can you uh, tell us whether or not you, you accept that that public reporting that's out there in the media? I mean, are those numbers accurate? And, and also, what do you attribute that to? Because we know that in 2017, the first year of the Trump administration, there was a marked decline in illegal crossings at the border. Well, uh, it is true. Uh, numbers have gone back up. Uh, to levels uh, uh, close to where they were previously. Uh, when President Trump was elected, the strength of his commitment resulted in a dramatic reduction in the attempted entries into the country. But gradually, uh, they, they're coming back. I think the fear may be that uh, we're going to be uh, achieve uh, the ability to end the lawlessness, uh, to build a wall, uh, maybe driving some of the attempts to enter this year, but uh, we've got to do better. So in the last few months, uh, we're continuing to press uh, to prosecute cases more aggressively, more than double the prosecutions. Uh, We're going to speed up uh, the deportations wherever possible. Uh, We're going to increase detention space for people who've entered illegally until their cases are disposed of. Uh, I'm adding 35 new prosecutors to the uh, the already uh, enhanced prosecutions that we're going. We're adding 100 new immigration judges who hear the asylum cases. Uh, that's going to be good. And by the way, even with the judges that, that have been there for years, 80% of these claims of, of the, the asylum are being denied because this this they're just not they don't meet most of these people are just coming for economic advantage and they do not meet the standards for asylum but it's it's a tremendously burdensome thing for our ice our border patrol officers and and the and the asylum courts to process we need help from congress we need the wall we need some more personnel and we need to close some of the loopholes that are making it uh extraordinarily difficult to enforce the law we're speaking to the Attorney General of the United States, Jeff Sessions. Uh, Attorney General, i got to ask about uh, some comments made by, uh, I believe, former uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement head, uh, who said, uh, Thomas Homan, who mentioned that in the context of some of these sanctuary cities out there, it has caused problems for the Coast Guard to work with local law enforcement on drug cases. Have you, can you talk to that issue of where sanctuary cities are causing breakdowns in the communication and the cooperation between local and, and federal authorities? Well, I'm not certain about what he's talking about with regard to the Coast Guard, but in California, where you've got sanctuary state, uh, Coast Guard does bring in a lot of um, seizures on the high seas and bring a lot of cases. It could be that he's referring to, but the entire 
partnership, the relationship between, in so many cases, between the federal law enforcement officers and our state and, and, and local brothers and sisters in law enforcement has been damaged by this. They are saying that if they catch somebody who crossed the border on Monday, got to San Francisco on Wednesday, and was arrested for bringing drugs across the border, that they won't turn them over uh, to the ICE officers to be deported from the country. I mean, they don't have roots here. They may have no family here. They come here unlawfully and commit a crime, and they won't even cooperate. And the, and the ICE officers have to go out in the neighborhoods and try to find these these uh, criminals at, at great risk when they could have been picked up from the jail. Uh, this is a, a big, big problem. And it, it uh, we just got to urge, urge, urge the leaders in these cities and, and counties and even California uh, to reevaluate what they're doing because it impacts the whole partnership of law enforcement. Can you tell us where we are right now on on the wall that was uh, much discussed by the president during the primary and and since then? Uh, So from the earliest days of of President Trump's run, he's been talking about the wall. We know there was some relatively minor appropriation for it in the most recent omnibus bill, a a few billion dollars. What has to happen here? Can you tell us if it is, is it even possible? If the president made the wall a military issue, some have raised this, could he start building it just using the Army Corps of Engineers and the National Guard? Is that feasible, or does Congress have to act? Well, Congress only provided a small amount of money, uh, but uh, prototypes have been built. A wall uh, in small amounts are, is being built. It's the province of the Department of Homeland Security who guards our borders and has the Border Patrol in their agency, and uh, we support them entirely on this. I believe that we shouldn't have to do that. I believe President Trump is exactly correct that Congress should support this. Uh, he campaigned on it. The American people voted for it. Uh, they've got legislation and, and several bills of importance, some good bills that have wall construction and funding in it. That's what needs to pass, and Congress needs to uh, uh, really respond. It's nothing wrong, nothing immoral. It's right and just that we have a lawful system of immigration, and, and, and the wall does, in fact, re- represent a major monumental improvement in our ability to end the lawlessness and create a lawful system where people make their application to enter the United States uh, and wait their turn. That's what the system is all about. We admit, you know, 1.1 million a year the legal permanent residents, we're very generous, but we have a right to end and have a duty, really, to end this illegality. Attorney General Jeff Sessions, really appreciate you uh, joining us again today, and uh, please come back when you have the time. Thank you. All right, team, uh, there you have your update from the uh, highest level on what's going on with immigration at the border and on our coast and around the country. Uh, We're going to continue following this issue very closely because it is going to play in the midterms, my friends, believe you me, both for turnout on the Republican side and and also for fundraising. And I'm sure turnout on the on the Democrat side too. immigration is going to be a central argument going forward. Uh, We've got much more coming. If you want to call in 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Stay with me. 
you've got all kinds of apparel choices out there, right? A lot of companies that think that they can make really comfortable, fantastic T-shirts, hoodies, and all the rest of it. But I can tell you that the best in the business is Nine Line Apparel. Not only do they make great gear, it's also a veteran-owned and operated patriotic lifestyle brand. Nine Line's goal is to bridge the gap between civilians and service members. Whether military, law enforcement, or first responders, they're encouraging a conversation between those who serve and those who support them, and their gear is awesome. The Nine Line team prides itself on representing the silent majority of Americans who hold their values and patriotism true to their hearts. You can now wear that patriotism on your chest, literally, with Nine Line Apparel. They offer a wide range of gear and accessories for patriots. Visit NineLineApparel.com, coupon code BUCK20 for 20% off. That's NineLineApparel.com, coupon code BUCK20 for a great deal, 20% off. They asked me a hundred questions on the fake witch hunt that they have been fixated on for these last 500 days, but they forgot to mention the things that Americans actually care about, like the booming economy. We have the best economy since we've had, we've had since World War II, and they refuse to talk about that. The stock market is growing. People actually have jobs. People that need jobs and want jobs can get them. The fact that ISIS is on the run and being defeated day after day, the fact that the president has completely remade the judiciary, the fact that we are becoming an energy independent and an energy dominant country under this president's leadership they ignore all of the successes of this president and it's to their detriment and i think the american people have seen it and that's why the media's numbers continue to tank and the president's numbers continue to go up i want to make that sarah huckabee sanders rant like my ringtone even though i'm opposed to ringtones you know i just want to have that handy it would be kind of a long one but you know just let that let that rip every time someone calls me just as a reminder i feel like we should all have that just just keep that aside as a reminder when you're seeing all this stuff about you know russia collusion and all this nonsense the problem that that runs into is one it's nonsense right it's garbage there's nothing there but also the american people see what's happening in the country and they're like this is the this is the fascist dystopia that you and the media the guardians of the republic you know the the the, the fourth estate, the, oh, we're going to, you know, you are. This is what we've been we've been promised was going to happen because it seems pretty sweet right now. Right. It seems like a pretty good situation. Numbers don't lie. Numbers are really strong. Now, speaking of numbers, Medicare, Social Security, we've got problems, folks. I don't know. You know, if you tell me you want to deep dive into that, I will. I just feel like everyone goes. Here's a short version. We do not have enough money long term to pay for some parts of Medicare, not all of it, and to keep Social Security benefits as promised. But at least that's a debate we can have. By the way, the Democrats don't mind if if that happens. They just figure, well, we'll just raise taxes on you. All right. So in 16 years, in 16 years, Social Security will have to cut its benefits 21 percent unless legislative action is taken. Now, 16 years sounds like a long ways, but comes up on us real fast, right? So if you're listening to this right now and you're in your 50s and you think you're going to retire and get your full Social Security benefits, uh-uh, not unless some changes are made and someone raises taxes. By the way, 20%, that's a, you know, imagine that you were told tomorrow that your job, you're getting a 20% pay cut. You would, 
a lot of you probably quit, right? You'd freak out. I'd, I'd be very unhappy. 20% cut in benefits is, is not, is a non-trivial amount. Okay. It is a non-trivial amount. And this is where I do think the administration with some of its political capital right now should try to, oh, I don't know. You know, it's just a losing proposition, folks. Everyone wants to believe there's a Santa Claus. Any politician who comes along, they say, oh, it's the third rail of politics. Any politician who comes along and says what the numbers are, are just not just telling us, but screaming at us that you can't continue with this level of benefits with the, with the tax, taxation where it currently is, they get punished by the electorate. So, you know, I, I, I feel like it's important for us to know this. It's intergenerational theft. That's what's going on. One generation is stealing from or a few generations are stealing from future generations by putting a tax burden on them that they didn't vote for, that they didn't benefit from the upside of either. But no, people just don't want to hear it. Look, they don't want to hear it. I, I'm, I'm in the, uh, I'm in the truth business. I'm also in the, like, keeping the audience happy business, right? I mean, I can't sit here and just rail on about how in 20 years we're going to go broke. Okay. We're seeing it. I would like it to be more of a national discussion. I think that Trump has enough political capital that he could expend some of it on this issue of entitlements. And just because Bush couldn't figure it out, you know, he tried it with Social Security. Remember, oh, my gosh, privatization, everyone freaked out. Doesn't mean it can't be done. But I won't spend too much time on it today because I just... And please let me know if this is something... If you care more about this and you... you know, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or you can call in and tell me too. Uh... Then I'll, then I'll spend more time on it here on the show on a regular basis. $20 trillion in debt, and everyone's just like, eh. Right now, things are great. You know when you should deal with a long-term structural financial issue? When things are great, right? Think about this in your own life. When do you want to, you know, when do you, like, uh, look at your mortgage payments and everything else? You want to do it when you're strapped for cash or when you've actually got a fat bank account? You want to do it when you've got a fat bank account. Or so I'm told. Not something I've ever really got to deal with. Dr. Rick in Maryland, you have some wisdom to share with us. As always, what's up? Oh, hey, uh, you know, shields high from behind enemy lines in the People's Republic of Montgomery County. <laughs> oh, wow. That really, that's, that's practically Manhattan-level Marxism. What's up? Well, hey, I, you know, I do want to switch topics to what you just talked about, because I am a provider of services, and for now, I take Medicare. But it is getting a, a lot like Medicaid. Providers are leaving, and they're leaving in droves, and it's a huge problem, and yep, we can't afford what we have already. Um, and if it wasn't for the involvement of a senator, I literally, because of problems with Medicare, didn't get paid for 18 months. You can't run a private business that way, and, um, and it's a problem. So I am all for you talking about this because, uh, you know, freedom comes with some responsibilities, and one is being grounded in reality. And now, see, this is what I think people don't understand. Legislators can say whatever they want about Medicare if the system is crappy and doctors aren't getting paid for their labor, unless we're just going to start effectively seizing the labor of doctors and making them do this stuff, you're just not going to be able to see. You know, they can say that you're covered, but if you can't see a doctor within 100 miles of where you live that takes Medicare, you're not really covered. You're not really covered. And, you know, you've brought something up I've been talking about for a good four years that, you know, I could foresee a time that they would claim it's a crisis because there aren't doctors taking Medicare, um, that they literally will infringe on my liberty to practice 
what um, I've learned and will say for me to be licensed, I have to see X percent of Medicare patients and go through all the witch hunt that they do and giving private companies, you know, to try to ferret out all the fraud. There is fraud, but there are a lot of good people being hurt by this. Um, And the private companies get paid a percentage of what they get back. So I, I think we, there needs to be discussion. You're absolutely right. This, you know, this would be the time for Trump to spend some of his cachet on this issue. I, I, you know, I agree. I just feel like we've all been to this so many times before. And I will say this is a bipartisan problem. Nobody wants to hear it right now. I'm going to say nobody. Obviously, you and I, we're talking about it. We're on a national radio show right now discussing it. But a majority of the American electorate doesn't really want to face the reality of what our debt is going to be, what it is already doing to the financial system, what the future of our fiat currency is, by the way, because it is bleak. Every fiat currency in history, they have a really clear record. You know what it is? Failure. 100% failure, fiat currency. It always collapses. Just a question of when. No one wants to hear about that. No one wants to talk about what the next 15 to 20 years of the of U.S., uh, mandatory expenditures in the budget are we just you know they just don't want to hear it so dr rick look i appreciate your perspective hearing from somebody that's actually on the front lines of this issue as a provider and thank you for for calling in as always uh, astute commentary i just you know it's a frustration for me i, I remember I, I got into media when the tea party was just roaring across the country remember we were talking about folks with the tea party those tea party events spending entitlements, the debt, the size of government. That stuff hasn't gotten better. When do we want to just when do we want to go back and fight those fights because at some point it'll be too late. If you think having your credit card stolen is bad, it's nothing compared to home title theft. Everything is online these days. That includes your home's title. And thieves at home and all over the world hunt homeowners here in America because we have equity. And guess what? They'll steal that equity. They will take you off your home's title and add an alias, then borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars using your home's equity and then sticking you with the payments. You're not going to know until you get a late payment notice. Identity theft programs don't protect you. Now that does insurance, but Home Title Lock safeguards your home's title from cyber thieves and hackers by putting an online perimeter around your home's title. The instant they detect someone tampering with it, they're on it, they'll help you, they'll shut it down. This is for pennies a day, folks. Home Title Lock protects your most valuable asset, your home. Register for a free analysis to see if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Uh, what I was conveying, what I described in the book, is that after the election, you know, President Obama went through the same process that a lot of us did in just trying to figure out what happened here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember he called me on election night and was just kind of stunned. And what well, that happened? You know, what do we what do we do? About how do we pick ourselves up? And, you know, he went through the theories, you know, Russian meddling or the Comey letter or did the Democrats you know, not run a good campaign? You know, he was contemplating a bigger question, which is, you know, yeah. what if Trump's onto something with the desire that people have to kind of retreat back into it, uh, their, their tribe, um, the, the politics of grievance that he'd stoked? So that was uh, one of Obama's 
most trusted aides over the eight years of his presidency, Ben Rhodes, who very famously outed himself as the creator of an echo chamber in the media in favor of the Iran nuclear deal, who anytime someone tells you there's a member of the Trump team that does not have the standard resume for the role that they have been put into, you can remind them, well, Ben Rhodes uh, had basically no resume and became a senior national security figure in the Obama White House who is in charge of, uh, I believe, strategic communications, which is really a euphemism for uh, propaganda. It would be for a Republican or a Democrat, but that's, you know, strategic communications is getting people to believe our message, to buy our message, to spread our message. Propaganda. Uh, but that's what that's what his role was. That's what he did. But, you know, he's written this book, uh, which I mean, I'll say the title because none of you are going to buy it. So who cares? The world as it is. And, you know, he's also now an NBC analyst because this is what, what happens now is every administration figure has to run out from the Obama era and, and read a book and become a TV pundit. Because we, we really need is to hear more about all the things Obama did that we know were failures, but. Well, hey, at least they were near the Obama, you know, they were in the Obama White House when they did them, so we get to hear the stories. But this whole book and this, this some of the, the press around it is an astonishing portrait of the hubris, the arrogance that I think was the defining characteristic of the Obama presidency. And, and all those, not just the president himself, all those around him, that the Obama White House really had a holier-than-thou attitude about everything. And when I read you from, this was a New York Times piece recently, about Ben Rhodes' book, and but, but specifically the moment Trump won and what, what Obama and Team Obama's reaction to it was. Here, here's what they write. Riding in a motorcade in Lima, Peru, shortly after the 2016 election, President Barack Obama was struggling to understand Donald J. Trump's victory. What if we were wrong, he asked aides riding with him in the armored presidential limousine. He had read a column asserting that liberals had forgotten how important identity was to people and had promoted an empty cosmopolitan globalism that made many feel left behind. Maybe we pushed too far, Mr. Obama said. Maybe people just want to fall back into their tribe. His aides reassured him that he still would have won had he been able to run for another term and that the next generation had more in common with him than with Mr. Trump. Mr. Obama, the first black man elected president, did not seem convinced. Sometimes I wonder whether I was 10 or 20 years too early, he said. This is a notion that you heard from people like me over the course of the Obama presidency. That Obama really did believe that he was, in a sense, too good for the American people. That, that his realm of consciousness, that his understanding of the issues that really matter to all of us and to the rest of the world, so exceeded where we were. He was really on another plane, at, at another level, uh, that we were disappointing him. The American people were a disappointment to Barack Obama which is a a stunning approach for a person who only derives his power from our confidence in our votes, right? That's 
that's a in a lot of ways a a, a kind of repudiation of the very notion of of a representative government right oh well well i'm way above all the rest of you it's not that he just knows more it's not that he thinks that he's you know smarter than the average voter or something obviously he thinks all that Uh, but that we the american people this country had let him down and that the election of donald trump was a disappointment that america had visited upon the trump team after all the the things that they it's it's like we the american people were ungrateful children after all that the obama administration had done for us and you know he never connects with the fact that that attitude is in fact a large part the attitude from Obama, from his White House, from his federal government, right? When he was running the show, that sense of just incredibly uh, arrogant superiority was what led to the Trump, the Trump lash, if you will, the, the Trump backlash against the Obama administration and all of its policies and everything else. Because we had had enough of it after eight years. It was not nearly as successful as they said it was going to be. In fact, it was a failure in so many ways. They did not achieve what they set out to achieve. They did not uh, leave a, a legacy of you know, prosperity and rule of law and all these things that one would hope you could point to for a truly successful two-term presidency. In fact, left us with Obamacare, which a law that was so clearly subpar that its own architects kept finding ways to not make us live under the law that they had passed. Oh, and made sure they exempted themselves in Congress from it. No legacy on immigration, a financial legacy of hostility toward capitalism and toward free enterprise and entrepreneurship, towards regulatory systems that stifle growth and innovation, that's that was the legacy of the Obama administration. Uh, a from Occupy Wall Street to Black Lives Matter, this the, the the growth of diluted progressive activists into creating this false well the resistance right we still have it today but this notion that they're fighting some great evil by taking to the streets of very blue Democrat strongholds across the country, smashing the stores, the windows of of business owners and acting like, well, acting in really childish fashion in many cases. I mean, Occupy Wall Street was just, I spent a ton of time down there covering them uh, as a journalist and it was just a joke. The whole thing was a clown show. But Obama doesn't look back on anything that occurred under his term and say to himself, you know, we, we made a mistake. You know, Obama's version of the mistake is the American people are the mistake. The American people are the ones that just didn't get it. I mean, this notion he's 10 or 20 years too early. You know, we just voted for this guy. I'm going to say we, not you and me, but you know, the American people just voted for him twice. And I'm just going to come out and say it. I mean, they voted, they voted for Barack Obama over Mitt Romney, who, say what you will about the guy, is leaps and bounds in terms of managerial experience in terms of financial acumen way ahead of barack obama okay not even close you know if you were starting a company tomorrow would you want barack obama to run it or i mean and by the way let's say back in 2012 would you have wanted barack obama to run it or mitt romney to run it 
the president is largely a managerial role. So, you know, and Obama won against Mitt Romney. He won, won against John McCain, a war hero. I mean, you know, this is, but there's still this disdain for like the American people. Like, we don't get it. You know, we, we don't, we somehow don't understand how great Obama was. That's really what, we are ungrateful to Obama and his acolytes. We're ungrateful to Ben Rhodes for the just shockingly inept Iran deal, the negotiations around it that they that they push this country into. Fortunately, that's all coming to an end. Um, but th- they really have learned nothing. Uh, that's one of the big takeaways from this. Uh, you know, this is this is what uh, you you see from all this. And, and Obama's whole attitude toward Trump is not. You know, maybe we did maybe we did leave people behind. Maybe there are forgotten men and women in this country who feel like they're not a part of the narrative of social justice, of the elevation of illegal immigrants above everyday Americans of all backgrounds and ethnicities, right? Maybe the the global cosmopolitanism that Obama was pushing is, is something that can't get people who are willing to die for their countries, particularly they can't get enthusiastic about that, right? You know, the notion that Greek exceptionalism and, you know, and, and you know, Indian exceptionalism and Chinese exceptionalism is no different than American exceptionalism to roughly paraphrase the the Obamaism on that. People didn't like that. You know, those of us who have families stretching back for many generations in this country, have served in wars, who have built this country, and yes, we did build it. We we don't particularly like being told that there's nothing special or particular about being American. In fact, you can illegally become an American and it's just as good as anything else, right? You can illegally be a part of this community and you should be in fact, we should be thanking those who do that because we need them so badly. These are the narratives the Democrats have been running with for a long time. It's not just Trump's election, by the way. The repudiation of Obamaism that has occurred in state legislatures, in governor's houses, in, you know, go across the country over the course of the eight years. And the only thing that, that maintained popularity during Obama's eight years in office was Obama the man. Obama's policies, uh, the Democrat Party, all of that was on just a steep downward slope over the course of the eight years. But as you can see from this uh, this Rhodes, uh, this you know Rhodes book that they're now uh, peddling and, and telling us these anecdotes from, uh, it's not that the Democrats, it's not that Obama has anything to learn or made any mistakes. It's that we failed to live up to his expectations. For how much we would revere him and love him. Like I said, Obama views the American electorate as ungrateful children. It's very troubling. It's not something that I would think uh, somebody would want as part of their presidential legacy, but they're unabashedly sharing this, right? Rhodes is an Obama devotee. He's not saying he's not blowing the whistle here. He's commiserating with fellow Democrats and members of the resistance. He's saying to them, yeah, see, Obama also thought that this was this was a, a shock to the system, that this was um, some terrible thing that had befallen the country, that Trump won the, won the election. It is not surprising to any of us to see this, but, you know, it is uh, interesting to see it in print. You know, so much of what we thought was true about the Obama view of of Trump, but also about those. Remember, Trump won 
because people who had voted for Obama voted for Trump. You know, there, there was one interesting uh, anecdote in this piece that I also want to share with you. Um, and that's when Rhodes, you know, this is like, yeah, Captain Obvious. Let me just read this part to you. Mr. Obama and his team were confident that Mrs. Clinton would win, and like much of the country, were shocked when she did not. I couldn't shake the feeling I should have seen it coming, Mr. Rhodes writes, because when you distilled it, stripped out the racism and misogyny, we'd run against Hillary eight years ago with the same message Trump had used. She's part of the corrupt establishment that can't be trusted to bring change. Wow, that's harsh. But it's so true, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Nobody should have been surprised in a sense that Trump won because they were running Hillary. And it's not that they ran with a message of she's a corrupt establishment figure. She is a corrupt establishment figure. That's what the Democrat Party offers up. And then they turn around and instead say, wow, we have some fundamental issues to look at. They say, well, no, it's because America, too much of America is racist and misogynist. Yeah, like all those racists who voted for Trump, who voted for Obama before that. Whew. Must be fun to be Democrats and just constantly take the world around you and manipulate it. It's funny to tell the book is the world as it is, because it's really the world as, you know, Obama's squad sees it. We'll be right back. I want to tell you all about our sponsor this half hour, the novel Anubis. The enigmatic U.S. president is dead. ISIS is attacking on multiple fronts. And the U.S. special forces call on a mercenary cyber warrior to stop the crisis. This is Anubis. An aging Marine sergeant and battle-worn Army major face an enemy that turns the Internet into a terrorist weapon and makes our existing concepts of security archaic. Today's headlines show us what is happening in the Middle East. Author Eric Anderson reveals the frightening possibilities that remain. This is Anubis. Eric Anderson is a former undercover U.S. intelligence agent. Anderson's new novel out from Dunn Books is Anubis. That's A-N-U-B-I-S. Now on sale at Amazon.com or visit Dunn Books at DunnBooks.com. That's D-U-N-N Books.com. Anubis is the novel. We love our country, we respect our flag, and we always proudly stand for the national anthem. We always will stand for the national anthem. That was Trump earlier today. You know, he, he he's, the American people are with him on this one. You know, I, I it's, it's people trying to make it much more complicated than it is. When I see the American people, overwhelmingly Americans respect the flag, want people to respect the flag, and they at, at least agree with Trump's sentiments on this, if not the specifics of his, what he advocates for. Stan in Mississippi, you've got thoughts. We've got a lot of folks listening. What's up? Hey, Buck. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I don't think it's that we don't want to talk so much about Social Security and Medicaid and all that good stuff, but we're out here going, all right, fine, what are we going to do about it? We've been voting for 20, 30 years thinking that it was helping and then you find out that hell they're all on the same team against us i mean what you got trillions of dollars missing from the pentagon slush funds set up to pay for congress's sexual harassment uh cases and they won't even talk about it 
what are we supposed to do other than, I mean, until they start locking people up, I don't see a lot getting done. Yeah, you know, you raise a very good point, Stan, and that is the people that we put in power to deal with this who say they will don't, right? I mean, look, the Tea Party wave, we remember what happened back in 2010, and, and people said, okay, well, we don't have the executive. We've had the executive, the House, and the Senate, and now they're saying, well, you got to give us 60 votes in the Senate. It's like, guys, if the football is always going to move, what's the point? You know, if, yeah. if there's, look, I, I agree with you. I think we talk about it. You're right. At the grassroots level, at the everyday citizen level, conservatives across the country have wanted this issue to be addressed for a long time. But the people that we give the power to address it, they say, well, you don't really want us to. Or, oh, no, that's not fair to you, because if we were to actually do what we said we'd do, it would negatively affect you. Stan, Stan it's a very good point, well, man. I appreciate it. And thank you for calling in from Mississippi. Uh by the way, we're going to get the uh, the Freedom Hub with Buck Sexton podcast. We're just waiting for, i, I got to get it approved by iTunes, and then we'll have our first episode, hopefully in the next 48 hours. That's the plan. Next 24 hours. I'll let you know when that goes out. I'll need all of you listening to download that one. That will be a a fun hangout sesh with, uh, with well, with me, obviously. We'll get uh, some other folks in on that, too. But uh, the Freedom Hub with Buck Sexton is going to be the name of the podcast to differentiate it from this wonderful radio show that we do. It'll be a little bit of a more mellow, laid-back vibe. Next hour, we are talking uh, Miss America getting rid of bikinis. I know. Uh, Bill Clinton being a self-deluded weirdo. And we'll get some roll call going. So, basically, it's going to be amazing. Stay right there. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news. And disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps, and uh, I believe that our ed- education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries. So we will be able to build up our future for our children. (laughs) So, hey, welcome back, everybody. So, look, I know that that is an infamous beauty pageant clip. And, I mean, producer Mike and I both have a little chuckle when we hear it. I will say that, you know, as somebody who has, in fairness, in fairness, and not just because she's a, you know, a a beautiful young woman, am am I coming to her aid on this one? I, I would if it were, you know, a 92-year-old 90, dude. But, you know, when, when you're under the lights and you, you got a lot going on and stuff, you can kind of, your brain can kind of short-circuit. I'm just saying, it can happen. You know, where all of a sudden you stumble and your words don't really make sense. And Okay, maybe I'm reaching on this. But the point is that that was, that was a very well-known flub during, I don't know, because there's like Miss America... Miss USA, and then there's a third beauty pageant, which I actually forget what it's called, but it's another national, you know, state by state. It might be like Miss United States or something like that. There's some other. So these are the ones that are, yeah, Mike, do some research on that one. Deep dive. You know, we got to make sure we know what the beauty pageants are. 
So, the uh, latest on this, as you may have heard, is that they are getting rid of the uh, bathing suit and nightgown components of this. And they're also saying, and I really couldn't believe this, uh, I also see that they, they are now going to... By the way, why get rid of the nightgown? Like, what is it? It really is like a Taliban thing. Nightgowns? Come on. That's... that's uh, shouldn't be an issue. But they're not going to even judge them on appearance anymore. Um, I don't really understand what they think this is anymore. It, maybe we don't call it a beauty pageant. We just call it a pageant. But... The, the truth is, um, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, okay, hold on. Here you go. You have uh, Gretchen Carlson, I think, right? She Who assumed, quote, this is according to the New York Times, a prominent voice for women's rights in the workplace after filing a harassment lawsuit in 2016 against Fox, said the competition would focus more on the contestants' intelligence and ideas. Quote, we are not going to judge you on your outward appearance, Ms. Carlson, who was Miss America in 1989, said on ABC's Good Morning America on Tuesday, we are moving it forward and evolving it in this cultural revolution, end quote. Um, I, so I don't really understand. Does, you know, Gretchen Carlson, who I know from when, not well, but I, I've done her, I did her show back in the day a few times at Fox. Is she of the impression that TV personalities are not judged on their appearance either? I mean, I, I want to know how far we're going to play this game. Does does Gretchen Carlson think that she was a very highly paid TV news anchor just because she's such a good journalist? And, and you know, because she was a better journalist than all the other journalists out there who did not ever get, nor will they ever get, such a prominent and high-paying job in news media. I mean, is it fair to say that as a former Miss America winner she had an advantage in the tv realm over so you know i just i think we should be very honest about what we're asking for here we're going to pretend now that beauty doesn't matter for a beauty pageant are we also going to pretend it, it doesn't matter for tv for actresses for actors for models you know is, is this what we're supposed to because it's all going to fail folks it's all a joke it, it's not real this is something that people can tell themselves. You know, we can pretend that what really matters with Miss America is the baton twirling and the speech, the, you know, the, the cliched, I want world peace or I want whatever it is. And I'm not saying that those these women in the Miss America pageant, by the way, some of them have been my my friends after the pageant, right? Where people have competed. People have had as guests on this show, on other shows. Uh, I, I think it is really impressive that there are women who are, uh, so so beautiful, uh, so attractive, as well as being yes, having a talent, but also well spoken and you know academically excelling. And you know, there is a total package aspect to it. I'm okay with that. I've always thought it's a little bit of a a delicate dance because isn't it first and foremost the beauty contest, and then these other things are all in. But now they are saying, in no uncertain terms, quote, "We are not going to judge you on your outward appearance." End quote. Um, 
So what exactly is the point of the Miss America competition then? Is it an academic competition? That's fine. But then I want to see what the ratings are for a show that has women who are, and I I guess it's it's only going to be women still, right? Uh, But this is, like many things with the left and radical feminism, when you start to push to find out where the boundaries actually are, where the intellectual underpinnings are for their movement, they don't know what they are. This, what we see from Ms. Carlson here and, and others who are pushing this now with Miss America, not that Miss America, by the way, is, you know, who really cares, right? But what we see happening here is a rejection of what is very obvious, and that is that people who are, uh, people who are, in fact, beautiful have a big advantage in life, you know, male and female. They have advantages in the workplace. They have advantage in their day-to-day. And we all know from our own culture and from fairy tales and everything, you know, beauty is only skin deep, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, you know, elevate it excessively, and we should really value what's important in a person, their, their kindness, their honor, their integrity, their humor. Their, I'm on board for all that, right? You know? And, you know, there's, there's never been a time in my life where I wasn't like, wow, it would, be, it would have been fun to be, like, really, really handsome. I mean, it would be, but, you know, why well, get into radio, right? Radio doesn't really matter. Uh, but, you know, I just think that this is dishonest. It's fundamentally dishonest to pretend that you can have a pageant that is a beauty pageant that you're not going to call that, and then you're going to tell people you're not going to be judged on your appearance. You know, I'm also going to say this, and this is not... You know, I, I think people may disagree with this. So they maintaining a certain appearance from women I know who do it. Right, I've never had this problem. I like brie and chocolate and French fries. But maintaining your appearance at at a certain level is a full is a job. It's a it's a real job. It requires discipline and effort, and you know. And I think that we're supposed to always like ignore. Oh, it's just all genetics. Well, you know, you could say that about a lot of athletes, too. They're genetically gifted, but to be at the level of performance they need to be to compete with other athletically gifted people, it requires diligence and perseverance and, you know, uh, discipline. That's the word that I was really looking for. There's a discipline to it. So I think it's unfair to cast that aside and, and make it seem like that's no longer a thing. And then you get into the whole, as a commercial enterprise, this is done, folks. I mean, if we're just going to put people that, you know, look like whatever on stage, and I don't mean that in a mean way, but just, you know, just going to put average, average looking, particularly average looking women, because we're talking about Miss America. Uh, although I wonder when they're going to have to open it up to, and I, I ask this question seriously, when Miss America will have to be uh, opened up to transgender? It may already have been. I, I don't know. But that's probably coming. Uh, but, you know, you see this with people where they, they, Look, appearance is not is not the most important thing. It, it shouldn't be an important thing, but it is a thing in real life. And I remember this even from college, from some of the radical feminists that I came across who wanted to tell other women, you know, it doesn't you look like anything you want. Doesn't matter. Put no effort into it. And those young women were being put at a disadvantage in life because you know, while while you know, you don't have to be beautiful, you don't have to be handsome, and most of us aren't. You know, appearance is an outward expression of your day-to-day habits and how you carry yourself. And 
you know, we shouldn't pretend that it's nothing. That's all I'm trying to say. And I feel like this movement, and I think this is, it's just very disingenuous. And this thing from Gretchen Carlson about how you're not even going to be judged on your appearance at all. I mean, it's, it's laughable. It really is. It's weird, actually. So I'll have to do some research on this. I'll, I'll come back to you when I have more. Stay with me. I've had credit cards stolen before, and let me tell you, that can ruin your day. You see those thousands of dollars of charges, and all of a sudden you feel like, what's going to happen? Well, you know, home title theft is much worse than credit card fraud if it happens to you. The FBI calls home title theft one of the fastest-growing crimes out there, and I'm telling you, it is way worse than having your credit card stolen because once a thief takes control of your home's title, you are in for hell. They can use your home's title in order to take out a loan and stick you with the payments. You're not going to know until you get a late payment notice. Identity theft programs, insurance policies, they don't protect you. That's where home title lock comes in. It creates a virtual perimeter around your home's title. For just pennies a day, home title lock protects my most valuable asset, my family home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. So I saw this on uh, social media earlier today, and and it really, it really bothered me. Um, It's something that, should never happen to anyone. It's happened to a lot of friends of mine in media. It's, it's happened to people. And I don't know why Congress, which is so quick to make everything illegal, right? It's so quick to pass laws that will send you to prison for a very long time on, on any number, for any number of issues, why they are unwilling to take action on this. Uh, but swatting is really a violent act. Uh, Swatting has led to people being killed in their own homes. Um, It is, to to me, the fact that you can call, if you were to call in a bomb threat to any any place, right, but let's say you called into a school, you'd face, I think, a a mandatory minimum of 15 years in federal prison. It might be 10 years in federal prison, but it's, I think it's 10 years, but it's it's a long stretch, as it should be can't be calling in bomb threats to places, evacuating them. Think of all the disruption there and, and, and all what that does for police resources, EMS. You know, they have to go to the place and lock it down, go through it all. And, you, know, this, you, you can't have that. Swatting is something that should also be illegal in all 50 states. It involves, one, it involves interstate commerce. It's often done from across state lines. I'm not a fan of federal criminalization, but this is something where the Fed should step in and say, you know what, you swat somebody, we're coming down on you hard. And, I, you know, I, I saw that this happened to the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas high school activist, David Hogg, and look, look let, let's just put aside for a moment the fact that I, I really disagree with David Hogg's tactics. I disagree with his message. I think he's been shamelessly exploited and elevated by the media. You know, I am not shy about my criticism with with David Hogg. That all said, swatting should happen to nobody. And I uh, 
feel badly that it happened to to Hog. Nobody was injured in this case, uh, but it's it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace that anybody would do this. And you know, you put yourself in the mind of somebody who uh, in the mind of somebody who would do this. I'm assuming that whoever did it. And now, look, some of you will say, Buck, it could be someone on the left who wants to uh, elevate Hogg even more as a as an icon, as a as a as a martyr of sorts for the cause. You know, that's you know, I don't I don't know anything about the person who called this in. Uh, but I can say that calling in a uh, calling in a swatting threat against them. For those of you who don't know, by the way, it's when you call law enforcement and say, and I'm sure all of you are, are pretty aware of this, but in case someone's listening, like what's swatting? It'd be like if you called law enforcement and said, "Hey, there's a, you know, somebody. My next door neighbor has taken his wife and children, you know, hostage with a gun. He's locked in a room, and he says he's going to shoot them any minute. You know, please come quick." Well, I'm, uh, SWAT team's going to deploy and come blasting through the door very likely right i mean depends on how they set it up and you can do that to somebody who's at home asleep in their bed and they may be because of the the tense nature of a swat entry they may get shot that's happened or they may think that they're an intruder and go for a weapon they may not know they're figuring i'm just a home asleep right that's why swatting it has led to fatalities very dangerous and and a really disgraceful thing to do to anybody to anybody and and it has particular particular salience on the on the right for media folks i know because it's something that's been done to us it's done to our side of it uh, a fair amount i i know people who have been swatted friends of mine and it's a terrifying experience i mean just imagine your your home and they do it usually at night they do it at a time when people are likely to be asleep and now all of a sudden you've got a swat team at your door and they think because they've been told that there is a lethal situation unfolding, they're they're not going to come in and knock. Say, hey, we got a call. You know, this isn't like loud house party call. This is they could they could end up guns blazing if things go the wrong way. Anyway, you know that's. But you put yourself in the mind of the person that would do this. If there's somebody that thinks they're that, that you know disagrees with Hogg's anti Second Amendment message, uh, as well as what is what can only be described as political bullying. I mean, he runs around. Saying, you know, this is a, and the media has given him a huge platform. He's become some, he's become a celebrity, and he runs around picking on people, uh, going after their sponsors, and trying to ruin people's careers. So, I, and I, I am, and I, I think this kid needed to be called out. And by the way, it's tough, right? When you're 18, do we still call you a kid? You know, you're an adult, so we call you a young man. I mean, I'm being serious. I don't know how we're supposed to use the terminology there. How that's supposed to you know, you'll notice that when they want to make someone seem young for the purposes of the media's narrative, they'll refer to an 18-year-old as a teenager. When they want them to seem old, they'll say, you know, an adult, because that's technically the case. I am stifling. Oh, gosh, I just had to stifle a sneeze there for a second. That was, whew. Sneezing is weird, you know? It's a weird thing when you think about it. You get this, like, itch in your nose and your eyes and all, and... The whole thing strikes me as kind of a strange, although when puppies do it, it's adorable. Uh, anyway, back to the back to this uh, much more serious issue of, of swatting. Uh, they they got to pass a law on this one. They really do. They, they've got to make this very illegal. Um, and like I said, it, people that you know, and fo- I don't know how much, how much of uh, this has been publicized, but people that you all probably know from the media They've had they've been swatted, and it's a tactic that we need to make sure we get rid of it. But the person who did this, David Hogg, 
you know, is 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 grotesque, is and is an imbecile too, because you know, Hogg is now already he's back in the media cycle. Um, he's rightfully having people look. People like me are coming coming up and saying that 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 person should be prosecuted. Person should be found. You can't do this, to people. You can't do it. You know, we don't. Just because the left will abandon all of their principles and do everything to destroy people, whether it's Trump or anyone who supports him or supports Trumpism, it doesn't mean that we can engage in the same kind of tactics and, and behavior. So I, I just find it very uh, frustrating. By the way, no one was home at the time, and uh, here's what ended up happening. It was a SWAT team responded to a call at 8.30 a.m. of a barricaded suspect at Hogg's residence. The caller said there was a person with a weapon inside the home, According to the Broward County Sheriff's Office. So yeah, classic, classic swatting situations. They often do this to celebrities, by the way. They've targeted the homes of Tom Cruise, Russell Brand, uh, Kim Kardashian, and Rihanna and Miley Cyrus. So when I say this is something that happens, it happens with way too much frequency. It needs to stop. And I don't know, what the heck is Congress? Why isn't this... And producer Mike, fact check me on this one. I don't think it's I don't think it's a federal crime right now. A specific federal crime to swat somebody. Filing a false report is a crime. That's like a misdemeanor. This should be a felony. You call a SWAT team on somebody at their home. It should be a felony charge, straight up. All right, uh, I've got much more team, so uh, stay right there. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. It has been for decades an unbelievable double standard that the Clintons have used and abused where nobody is allowed to go there on this issue. He sounded incapable of owning anything. Why why was he so combative in that interview? Why didn't he just say, hey, listen, it's a different time. I feel badly for the way things went down. I feel badly for uh, how Monica Lewinsky was treated. I'm sorry. Words can't adequately convey just how disturbing a display this was. You must simply just watch it. In an interview with NBC News' Craig Melvin, Clinton told the correspondent he didn't believe he owed Lewinsky a direct apology. That man is frighteningly, pathologically incapable of shame. Oh, yeah. The media taking it to Bill Clinton. Like, I like it. I like it. it it's, uh, it was too much even for them. But all this has to be seen through the prism. It's a very important thing to keep in mind. All this must be viewed through the prism of it simply only comes out now because Clinton is no longer the central player in the Democrat Party and the whole power apparatus around it. Right. That's why we're hearing about this stuff. That's why all of a sudden it's almost become cool to tell the truth about Bill Clinton. I mean, why are all these ladies being so mean to me? I just wanted to, you know, just get close to them, just talk to them, maybe, you know, maybe smell their earlobe and just say hi for a second. You know, I mean, he's just a creepy weirdo, right? We can finally all say this. But I would note he uh, he he's not uh, not backing off even with all the, the media heat that he's getting here. I mean, they're just, they're all over me, man. They're all over me like a tick on a hound dog. It's crazy. Play clip three. The hubbub was I got hot under the collar because of the way the questions were asked. And I think what was lost 
are the two points that I made that are important to me. I meant it then and I meant it now. I apologize to my family, to Monica Lewinsky and her family, and to the American people. I support the Me Too movement, and I think it's long overdue. I'll, I'll support the Me Too movement. Like, you know, when I, when I see a bunch of ladies running around on the beach in bikinis, I'm like, hey, me too. You know, I mean, I'm just the shadiest old man. He is, he is really something else, you know. He is in some other stratosphere of self-indulgence and self-pity. Notice how even when he, he realized that he messed up with that interview, so he goes, oh, you know, I apologize to Monica Lewinsky. I apologize to her family. But before that, he's got to go, well, real, the hubbub was from the questions. You know, the questions were real tough on me. You know, just asking me with an interrogative tone, and I just felt so abused by the questions. It's just nonsense, right? It's garbage, but it's hard for a lot of us to see this and not not have it come to mind that this is the guy who the media has been telling us for a very long time is some kind of some kind of political genius. You know, one of the greatest presidents, probably the greatest president other than Obama in living memory. This is what they will. This is what they ran with for years. I remember this. I came of age. I learned about the media and about the the lies of the mainstream media. Yes, the fake news before Trump gave us that phrase that is such a useful, such a useful weapon to fight back against the lies of the mainstream media. And I, I don't I try not to take it for granted. But before, you know, we we had a really robust conservative media to fight back against this stuff. You just had this echo chamber effect with all of these conservatives, all these uh, people that knew the truth shut out and the left, the Democrat media circling the wagons and completely and utterly protecting Bill Clinton from any real scrutiny, right, from any uh, any kind of of serious in, uh, in my opinion, any kind of serious intellectual rigor about who is this guy? What has he done? What's he been up to? You know, there are people that really should have done damage to their careers by what they were willing to do in terms of the, uh, the lies with Bill Clinton and the things that they were willing to say for Bill Clinton. Instead, it was a career-advancing proposition. You were likely to get that promotion in the CBS or NBC newsroom. You are likely to become that big-time correspondent with CNN because because you were going to bat for Bill Clinton, not as a journalist, but as an advocate. And this, this was really... Bill Clinton was the beginning of the end of the mainstream media's dominance. really was. If they had been real journalists in the 90s, we wouldn't be in the place we're in right now. In that he was so grotesque in the way that he interacted with women. I mean, the guy with an intern, he's president. We all know the stories. I won't go, I won't go down. I won't go down there. Sorry. Uh, the, the point is, though, yeah, I know, that, that just happened. I didn't mean it like that. You know, the, the point is, he's a, a figure of, or should be a figure of public shame and disdain, and it's just now that Hillary lost, that the Clinton dynasty is over, that you have a lot of journalists coming out there and acting like they're speaking truth to power when, in fact, they're just saying whatever they want now that it's good for them to say it. You know, the, the political winds have, have completely shifted on this one. It's really changed uh, pretty dramatically.
So, you know, I, I just wonder. I think they're going to, I don't know, this makes me sad. I think they're going to tell you that Chelsea Clinton, oh, they're going to try. They're going to try, dude. They're going to make Chelsea Clinton some kind of political candidate just because of the, the pure name recognition. They're going to go, oh, you know, she's the real breaker of glass ceilings. You know, isn't it like Khaleesi from Game of Thrones, the breaker of chains? That's her title. Chelsea Clinton. Yeah, I know some Game of Thrones. Chelsea Clinton is going to be the breaker of, of glass ceilings. You know, and the media will, will worship her the way that people worship the Khaleesi in Game of Thrones. Not me, though. I'm here to tell you that she's never had a real job in her life, has never been in a real fight in her life, professionally or otherwise. I, I get no get no respect or love from this guy. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for roll call. Man, that roll call always puts me in a good mood. I, I think that's my favorite. I, I like hearing from all of you, uh, but that's probably my favorite roll call. Producer Mike, what do you think? Is that the best roll call intro we've got so far? Yeah, I like that one. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. All right. So he'll, he'll go along with it on that one. We'll see. I think he's secretly a dubstep guy, even though he gives me a weird look whenever he put the... No, he's shaking his head no. All right. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Let's get into some of the uh, roll call inbox here. By the way, if you want to be a part of this fantastic digital party known as Roll Call. It's so easy. Just go to Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. By the way, I, I hope you will follow uh, this show on Facebook. You can do that once you go to that uh, address by just clicking follow. Or uh, you can like stuff on the page, too. You can meet fellow Team Buck Patriots. There may, in fact, even be a wedding or two that has resulted from some Team Buck Patriots getting together and knowing each other. People have met and gone out on dates. People have had meetups at barbecues across the country. Uh, all kinds of good things. All kinds of good things. So Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Do do check it out, please. Uh, Brian, he writes, hope to see you not sporadically. Come on, Buck. Us teenagers of the 90s know every line in Clueless, obviously. R.I.P. Brittany Murphy. Interesting where all those actors, actresses end up. Huge fan of Stacey, uh, Stacey Dash. Unfortunately, she was blacklisted in Hollywood due to her conservative views. Missing the old school action movie quote only Fridays. Uh, Brian, first of all, you are correct. We can give a little ding ding on that one. You are correct. Hope you not to see you sporadically or hope to see you not sporadically is a quote from the timeless classic for those of us who were teenagers in the 90s. Clueless. Uh, which, thank you. There we go. And I, I, I'm glad that somebody got it. I made that reference yesterday. I hope to see you not sporadically. That was a fun one. By the way, if my voice cracks today, don't make fun of me. I've got a cold. People all day have been like, oh, somebody's back in high school. You know, I can't help it if there is inflammation and phlegm around my vocal cords right now. That's right, Mike. It's gross. I know. It's gross. So when you really think about what a cold virus is, it's pretty nasty. All right. Alan is up next here. He writes... Uncle Buck, hatchet scene, classic scene from a great film. I can't get excited about Uncle Buck because for so many years now, people have been like, Buck, like Uncle Buck. I'm like, how about how about Buck Rogers, the uh, interstellar superhero? You know, there's a lot of other Bucks out there that people could get beyond. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of other Bucks. It doesn't just have to be Uncle Buck, who's like the, you know, 
lethargic loser of the family it just who, who makes a giant pancake of trash Uncle Buck's hilarious though. He's pretty funny. Is it dude. a good movie? I haven't yeah. seen it in a long time. It, it's it's quite it's funny. It holds up. Yeah, All it right. does. You know, I'll, look, John Candy's maybe one of his famous movies. I mean, it's got to be up there in like top five, top ten. John Candy. So uh, I will check it out. And this is from Jen in a roll call. Hey Buck, I just wanted you uh, to know that I miss Crazy Aunt Nancy in your show opener. Hearing her uh, always made me smile. And I love the dubstep. Love your show. Keep up the good work from Jen. Well, Jen, thank you so much. And, you know, we'll, we'll get some more Nancy in the mix here. You know, Nancy's a, a fun one to work into our show whenever we can, however we can. Hey, it's Nancy Pelosi. Uh, and, oh, by the way, our, our previous uh, note from Brian, he said that he liked Action Movie Quote Fridays. You know, I, I feel like a lot of people like to write in about Action Movie Quotes, but for a while... I didn't see quite as much when we started the show the first six months. I do action movie quote Fridays and we could have just taken calls on action movies for at least an hour or two of the of the three hour show. And I feel like people maybe we, we did it and then they weren't as into it. But if I'm wrong on that, folks, let me know and we'll, we'll bring it back. But that means that you, you got to call in and challenge the action movie quote master. Otherwise, I'm just. Yeah, exactly. Don't call in sporadically. Thank you, John. Well done, by the way. You get you get a high five for that one. Uh, so that's that's just what I would say. Otherwise, I'm just the undisputed action movie quote champion, which I clearly am. Uh, but if it's undisputed, then we don't have much to dispute. So there you have it. Uh, here we go. Timothy writes, Buck, shields high. I'm sure you've heard of the shakeup in North Korean government prior to the summit. Have you considered that an attempted coup might be the best outcome for the U.S.? KJU, Kim Jong-un, is out trying to make peace while hardliners attempt to seize power and nukes in a coup. The instability gives the U.S. an excuse to quickly neutralize the North Korean nuclear facilities with airstrikes. North Korean retaliation would be confused due to ongoing coup. We could offer KJU a deal for his public support for our actions to crush the dangerous traitors trying to deny peace to the Korean Peninsula. In return, we reinstall KJU as leader of the denuked North Korea, which gives us more advantageous reunification terms. KJU saves face and blames denuking on others or just disappears. End state, what we want in Asia. What say you? Well, Timothy, I think you've got a career as a Tom Clancy-esque spy thriller writer, because that's quite a, a quite a slew of events you've put together there. I will tell you this, and I feel like it's something that people don't generally want to hear, but it's true. Uh, foreign policy is just always slower and less interesting in reality than we think it might be uh, based upon the possibilities. So if you always go for the most boring scenario, you're going to be right nine times out of ten or maybe even 99 times out of 100. So I think there's going to be a meeting. I don't think the meeting is going to result in some kind of a sea change in our relationship with North Korea, but I could be wrong. I could be. I hope I'm wrong, but there's definitely not going to be a coup that we're a part of that much. I can uh, I can offer up to you. Uh, Hannah writes clueless. Just heard that quote. It's from clueless. OSS. Hannah, you are correct. You are correct. In fact, it is from clueless. This is going to be you know what I'll do, actually. I think this would be fun. Producer Mike, what do you think? I could do. Each day on the show, without even saying it, I want to work in a movie quote and just see if people can pick up what it is. You know, so I'm not going to do like 
hey, there's a movie quote. I'm just going to say something that's a quote from a movie, and we'll see who can make the magic happen. Yeah, yeah, it's we'll like, we'll uh, see who... Yeah, it's like see who can. Uh, it's like a it's like a hid, a hidden treasure. That's right, mm-hmm. that's right. In uh, in France, don't they have some day where you like you eat the cake and there's so many layers of the cake, but there's a little uh, figurine in the cake that uh, you're like king for the day or something. You don't have. To, there's a thing where you eat a cake and there's a little. I know I sound crazy, but there's a little figure in the cake. Whatever French people do it, you know. By the way, did that that Dutch guy who got jammed up in the Mueller probe. He served 30 days in a U.S. federal prison because of his lie to the Mueller people. And I tweeted out today that the Dutch clearly aren't sending us their best. And I feel like that should have been people should have thought that was funnier. You know, I don't know. Twitter sometimes is harsh that way. You're like, I got a good one. And you put it out there and it doesn't get the love. And then you're like, eh, like, here's just a kind of run of the mill observation. People are like, yes, you are a patriot. You love America. I'm like, oh, well, thank you. I'll take it anyway. Because clearly the Dutch are not sending us their best. Have you ever been to the Netherlands? Ooh. Dutch ladies are very nice. I am a fan. Of their talent, obviously, because I'm not a Neanderthal who judges people by their appearance, like the Miss America pageant. Oh, yeah, I'm not letting this one go, folks. not letting this one go. Uh, David writes uh, next here. For what it's worth, I can only find Peter Millar at Nordstrom. And a local retail shop called Peter Blair. Uh, you should check it out. Good stuff. Well, Peter Millar is a sponsor of the show. In fact, I wore Peter Millar gear all day today. And it's really good stuff. I mean, it, you, you can wear it out on the golf course, out to dinner, or just you know, out on, out on the town, or to the office. I, I, Peter Millar, it's really top-end top stuff. So please do uh, check them out. And, and I really appreciate their sponsorship on the show. Uh, it is is very uh, very high end. Miss Molly, I will tell you, was quite impressed. Like, oh, Peter Millar is a sponsor. She works in fashion. And I said, yes, yes, Peter Millar is in fact a sponsor here on the Buck Sexton Show. Um, okay, William, next up here. I'm listening to you talk about going phoneless. Uh, the realtor that gives us the majority of our business signs our checks owns a dozen apartment complexes and manages over 300 rental properties. He's 42, three years younger than me, uh, and he likes to be involved in the maintenance of all his properties. Okay, William, thank you for this story. I don't know what this has to do with cell phones, though. Uh, There you go. Oh, you're saying that you can't even reach him on a cell, even though he's super busy? Okay, cool. Yeah, that's like being, if if you're a boss now, if you're like the boss, you're the guy who doesn't have to be on cell all the time. Anyway, team. I got to close up shop here in the Freedom Hut. We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you so much for being a part of what we do. Please do tell a friend, spread the word. If you're yeah, looking for I a... hope not sporadically. Thank you, John. There we go. And uh, until next time, Shield Time. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy. And you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. My last name, S-E-X-T-O-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. I have used ZipRecruiter and gotten fantastic results. In fact, I now have colleagues here with me in the newsroom in D.C. working on my show that are ZipRecruiter candidates. They've now become hired. They've gotten hired by me and my colleagues because they brought us the best. With results like that, it is no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. 
I used it myself. I can put my full faith, credit, and review behind it. I'm telling you, check it out for yourself. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton. ZipRecruiter.com slash Sexton for ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. 